Today, we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged. A pause, but not for long. Last night, for the first time in over a year, the Federal Reserve didn't put rates up. Breaking a habit? Well, perhaps not. Striking what many regarded as a hawkish tone, the Fed Chair Jerome Powell signalled that there would be more to come. Who better to discuss this with and what comes next than Fidelity's Global Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Hello, Richard. Good to be with you. Now, the labour market, Andrew, in the US is still robust and inflation is still far higher than they want. So why did the Fed pause yesterday? So I think there's a number of things that are happening in terms of their analysis as they look forward. The starting to show signs that maybe some of the work that they've done will have very distinct repercussions. And their own recession indicator has already started to pick up quite significantly. Now, some of the components within that, I think they still feel they want to have more confirmation on. And obviously, one of the big ones that hasn't moved is around you know, unemployment, as you said, that um, we've had incredibly robust numbers. But there are small signs there as well. We saw a leap in jobless claims. We've seen a change in terms of employment rate versus the construct of how jobs were um, being added. So there's a little bit there where I think for the Fed is that if they have the chance, in some ways, that with this forward-looking profile getting a little bit more worrying, that they want to see if the unemployment numbers start to show any signs of change. So that they're playing for time, is that what it is? Well, I think they've said all along they're data dependent. They've been there for a few months now, and that data, in all honesty, has tended to be pretty constructive uh, for the economy. But we have seen inflation coming down. Inflation has now had a better than expected um, you know, monthly um, uh, year-on-year number. Um, the employment looks very robust at this stage. Um, so in some ways, it's a... Are there any signs that any of this data series that they've been looking very closely at that starts to show signs of aligning to some of those forward indicators that look more worrying about um, how economic growth will progress, uh, you know, give them a sign to, to actually take stock uh, again? And I think that, you know, the July um, is still a live meeting comment. I would say about, about July, two things. One, decision hasn't been made. Two, it, I, I do expect that it will be a live meeting is really about making sure that markets still think of them as being into a tightening mode and have not moved to neutral. The challenge in July, funnily enough, is that, you know, will it be a catalyst for staying in a tightening mode or move to neutral? And I think that's something that, um, you know, the markets at the moment are trying to digest. What would make them stop? Is it a full-blown recession? Is it going to be, if, if you know, rather than little um, blinking lights on a dashboard that you're actually seeing, yes, this is a red-blooded recession, at that point, they'll believe the data and stop? So I don't think that they're fully into the Paul Volcker mode of um, tip you over the edge and, uh, and keep going. Um, I don't think that's the nature of Jerome Powell and this um, uh, you know, board to, today. I think they are very aware of uh, you know, some of the indicators that could again play out into terms of uh, a very quick change in the environment and, and you know, more stressful part. And I think this is the, the challenge, that when you think about, you know, many have calculated that when we look at, um, uh, you know, R-star, where does that sit? Well, the, the, the risk is, as we realise the resilience, but also just the, just the s- enormous amount of stimulus that came through from um, uh, the post-COVID environment, that the way that's allowed the economy to keep um, moving 
is that, you know, will it be something that actually, you know, therefore means that policy has to stay tighter for longer because you've got to work that through the system? Or is it again that actually what you're doing is you're seeing the tail end of that where it has a sharp re resetting? And I think, you know, to answer your question, I think it's got to be about unemployment numbers now starting to, to pick up. It's got to be about the signals that say that the economic deterioration is becoming real. And that hasn't happened. And so I think what we're in at the moment is where they will look for clarity of signs that there is a change in the nature of some of those forward indicators being much more worrying. And that is something that I think you know they, they're going to spend a month to, uh, to give themselves a chance to, to consider. And when I was a, a cub reporter, Andrew, um, I was banned from saying the phrase, only time will tell. But I think it's probably one that <laughs> we, we ought to be using at this moment, isn't it? Um, what's been the reaction from markets uh, today, from investors? So I think what's been very interesting is that embedded within all of this as well is that obviously 16 of the, the 18 um, members of the the FOMC are looking for rates to go up further. And so, you know, one of the implications from that is that you do have rates not only move slightly tighter in um, policy terms, but also they stay there for, for longer. And the market needs to adjust that. So what you saw yesterday was very quickly the curves, you know, starting to uh, invert further again as the front end um, of the US yield curve uh, really saying, okay, Yields are going to be up higher for a bit longer, therefore we've got to adjust to that. Whereas the back end was telling you this is going to precipitate more of a downturn when it comes. And the challenge around all this is actually into the timing because you know, one of our major internal conversations has always been the degree to which resilience lasts, how long, how far does it take us? And then what are the consequences of that resilience passing? Is it a nice gradual repricing or is it a very sharp readdressing? And I've been in the latter camp only for the fact that I fear that this is about a great deal of the psychology of the confidence and um, you know being able to last longer in that resilient mode. But when it starts to change, it's going to really impact the way people operate. And all of a sudden, you're going to see a very quick change in going back to how do I build up savings? How do I stop myself from being so exposed to cost of living, um, interest rate uh, uh, you know, challenges? And that's something where you know, it could be that we have to wait to 24. But I think once it starts to come, whether it be late, later in 23 or into 24, will be quite a sharp readdressment. And that's the challenge at the moment. Markets are still coming out of a period where they're looking for the soft landing. They want to believe the soft landing can be delivered. The challenge as we roll forward is that that's going to become ever more challenged because either you're going to get that there is going to be this follow through on the economic um, activity down, uh, downturn. And then the consequence of flow from that, you know, you start to expose all of the refinancing challenges, the income um, uh, that you know, will all of a sudden start to be you know, challenged at both the consumer and the corporate uh, level. And also, you know, profit margins, which have been extraordinarily robust. And do we start to see some uh, adjustment to, uh, to those? But it could trigger everything falling apart. In, in one well, way. I think it, it's the, the risk is that it becomes a 
confluence of events that then feed off each other mm. just as at the you know what we've had in the other side is that that incredible sort of you know stimulus and psychology that's come together that's actually allowed us to continue to roll for for longer well on this side of the atlantic um just before we started talking actually the european central bank uh, has proven that it's less shy and it's just put up rates to the highest in 22 years well i was there i was back um when i was a reporter covering the european central bank from frankfurt when it was still a new central bank it was still finding mm. its feet well coming now to the modern day um there's a lot more experience but they're still worried about the pressure on wages reigniting inflation aren't they 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 are and um uh, you know it's it's interesting uh, obviously to to observe that one of the challenges um that you know we've touched on before if you look to the us and especially if you look to the uk is that you've had this very long period of actually wages being under pressure, of, of not seeing real wage increases. And for the first time, you're seeing a challenge to that. Uh, and I think within Europe, it's still a very uh, mixed picture. But I think the ECB, don't forget, has one part to their mandate, which is inflation. You know, the Fed has a very different position um, you know, with that dual uh, mandate. So, with, with employment as well. Yes. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think that um, you know, creates a different... You know, mechanism in terms of how and what they have to focus on uh, uh, this stage. And so uh, for, for them, I think it really is a case of um, you know, having to ensure that they draw out the pressures that could then lead to having that um, you know, inflation uh, target being you know, kept too far away or even you know, the risk that they miss it by an awfully long way, as we've seen obviously in recent times. And, but what is also very interesting is that if we see a change in the uh, economic environment um, into the, the next um, you know, year, does that then mean that actually for the ECB that the markets still very much um, reflect an environment which is not discounting significant interest rates decrease in the way that we see uh, that the markets have tried to do that in the US and, and obviously had to give some of that, um, that back. Uh, and so when you think about bond markets in um, you know, Europe, are we getting to the point where something is actually starting to look relatively attractive for a while? Duration's looking more interesting, just because the risk of repricing, if all of a sudden they do go a little too too far and we get the economic downturn, is that you'll see much more of that reflection of pricing coming through uh, in you know Europe or even in the, the UK. Well, we're going to continue our tour eastwards. Um going off to Asia now, because central banks in the West are facing a very different set of challenges to China, where the PBOC has been trimming some key interest rates um, this week, only a fraction really, but uh, that's over concerns about the country's recovery from the pandemic. Do you think it was necessary? So I think that we were already told that this uh, policy easing was um, occurring because the currency has been telling you that they've been putting liquidity into the system. Um, we've seen... Um, uh, the NIMBY weakening for a little while uh, now, and that um, uh, so it's not a surprise. Um, I think the challenge from here is what do they do to ensure that what they've said they want to achieve? And just to quickly cover that, it is that they want a sustained recovery, not a rapid rebound. Uh, you know, not something that they also create their own inflationary issues. Obviously, at the moment, we're seeing the other side of the coin that um, uh, where you're seeing elements of disinflationary um, uh, uh, you know, numbers. But I think what they want to do is ensure that that is disinflation, not becoming deflation. And so therefore, there's a focus now on to how can they create the right stimulus framework to, to really sort of view it 
you know, something we've discussed before, but is that, you know, China's progress out, coming out of um, the challenges around regulatory uh, change around COVID um, policy, zero COVID policy, and then the economic um, challenges that pose. As you come out, you're not going to have the same um, profile as we saw in some elements in the developed world where there'd been so much stimulus, there was actually a rush out. And as we saw with those um, very strong numbers, you know, for China, it's been a slower um, price, but it is opening up. The confidence is building. Our own analyst survey um, that, uh, you know, we just had a number of analysts and PMs on the ground in China in the, uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, shows that actually confidence, activity, um, investment are all starting to pick up and look healthy going into Q3. So in reality, we're at the point where what they need to do is, is keep up the uh, sense that there will be support for that dynamic. And so I sort of view it as a, you know, three steps forward off of that really very um, negative environment of October last year, two steps back, and we're just finishing the two steps back. And now we're going to have the next three steps forward, which will be partly stimulus, confidence rebuilding, investment and activity starting to increase as we go through Q3, Q4. So three steps forward, but not great leaps, if I'm mixing yes. my political metaphors um, uh, here, um, uh, because you, you were describing that they're sort of tweaking the economic um, uh, levers rather than yanking them. I think the that the, the desire is not to get into an environment where um, you know, they have longer term ramifications that um, you know, come about through either getting inflation making the system, which isn't an issue to, today, but also that they can manage what they want over the longer term, which is you know, lowering the relative importance of the property market within China. That's very challenging. But you know, the other side is to create um, confidence and uh, you know, investment into the country in other forms that can be sustainable, to create the confidence in the consumer and into levels of um, you know, consumption that become more sustained because we still have a very significant excess of savings there that hasn't in any way been utilized in, in full that can provide support there. So I, I think, again, it's more about the sustained recovery. I wouldn't underestimate their desire and why you're seeing some of the um, you know, media coverage of there being urgent meetings is because they're going to hit their 5% plus target. And it's how they keep on um, you know, that direction uh, from here. But I think, again, I don't think it's to go and all of a sudden open up the spigots. It's more about how do they just keep that process building so that you know, it reaches its natural inflection point of then having a self-sustained, um, stronger recovery. Let's turn now to um, Fidelity's asset allocation, its core asset allocation. Um, you know, a very interesting week in central banks, as we've as we've just discussed. Um, but the discussions um, about allocation carry on throughout the uh, the cycle. Um, where are we at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so I think um, you know one one of the things that's been quite recent is is moving you know from a more neutral to a slightly um, uh, you know underweight position uh, around some of the equity exposure. I mean, I shouldn't disguise we've been cautious, even uh, you know, as we've seen the rally in some of the developed markets um, develop. But we see this as an opportunity to slightly re-weight across uh, markets. So again, really reflecting what I've just said, that I'm um, feeling that the 
nature of valuations and where we are in cycles actually look much more attractive for parts of the emerging market complex, especially in Asia, uh, to a degree uh, China, and look very inflated in terms of where US and European uh, levels are. So, um, you know, cautious, but with a view that um, uh, you see some reallocation across uh, uh, those markets at these um, you know, uh, spreads and relative performance. Uh, the other part really is that you know, still being very cautious around what we're seeing in credit markets. And so still tend to have a bias towards, um, you know, being slightly defensive there. But I suppose on balance is thinking about taking a bit more duration. Where to take that? Where do you get the potential for the best bang for your buck in terms of taking that, uh, that duration? So again, maybe once upon a time being very much a US focus now starting to be you know, a little bit more um, uh, broad across the developed um, uh, world. Um, and then thinking about what does this mean in exposures for uh, you know, cash levels for FX, most probably still you know, having slightly um, higher cash levels, um, which reflects that little bit of uh, caution, but also looking for that to be put to work where we can. So again, that's why the you know, shorter dated and, and investment grade environment still looks attractive, but um, you can um, get a good value there. But also think about combination in um, duration and then also back into the FX markets that um, you know, one of the things about Asia EM as well, and as you mentioned for obviously the China rate cut, is that they are very much at a different part of the cycle. And as we see inflation come down much more quickly there and the, the forces around inflation dissipate, can we actually move into an interest rate cutting cycle more broadly as we see signs that you know the interest rate environment in um, the developed world is topping out? And I think that'll be one of the interesting parts, obviously, that will drive you know some of that relative performance through the course of the next few months. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. I'm afraid that's all we have time for this month. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks to you for listening as well. If you'd like more on the latest moves by the central banks and in the coming days, the analyst survey that Andrew just mentioned, then you can find that on your local Fidelity website or at fidelityinternational.com. The producer today was Holly Eastman with production support from Connor Bailey. For now, though, from all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.